morning. This place is empty, mostly empty, thanks to the band and everybody behind the cameras. But I'm very thankful for all of you that are watching online. Very thankful because you um, did not let all the situations stop you from, from worshiping, from joining us. And if there's something I like to say, and I have been saying for a while since we've been having worship service during uh, this um, COVID-19 situation, is that even though we are separated physically, we're still united together. So let, let me pray us into the sermon. Today we are in the four, not in the final part of the sermon series, but we are in the four one of the four pilot, uh, pillars of um, the quadrilateral, and today is recent. And this sermon has just taken me so long to be able to, to put it together because every time I got into a, a place that I, I was happy with, where I was being directed, I realized there were things that I was missing. And, and I just wanted to go on and on and on, and I don't have enough time. <laughs> To talk about that until I decided to stop and just pray and enjoy the day of yesterday and just wait for God to talk to me without knowing that that was the answer. But let me pray and then move to the Bible verse that we have for today. God, I pray blessing upon those that are at home watching and worshiping with us. I pray for those that are here that we are able to stay safe. I give you thanks um, for those that are taking a time in their house and just having, either in the background or sitting on their couches or tables or having breakfast while worshiping. I give you thanks for those that are here worshiping. And I, I pray for a miracle that we can all come together and worship you. Pray that you give me the wisdom and the clarity to explain and to give reason to what is in my heart regarding this thing for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to be reading the passage that we have for today. You're going to be seeing it uh, on your screen. And this comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 10 to 20, 21. That night, under cover of darkness, their friends got Paul and Silas out of town as fast as they could. They sent them to Berea, where they again met with the, Jew, with the Jewish community. They were treated a lot better than in Thessalonica. The Jews received Paul's message with enthusiasm and met with him daily examine the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. A lot of them became believers, including many Greeks who were prominent in the community, women and men of influence. But it wasn't long before reports got back to the Thessalonians, hardline Jewish Jews, that Paul was at it again, preaching the word of God, this time in Berea. They lost no time responding and creating a mob scene there. With the help of his friends, Paul gave them the sleep, cut a, uh, the sleep, cut a boat, 
and put out to sea. Silas and Timothy stayed behind. The men who helped Paul escape got him as far as Athens and left him there. Paul sent word back with them to Silas and Timothy, and Timothy, come as quickly as you can. The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All these idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. He discussed with the Jewish and other like-minded people at their meeting place. And every day he went out on the streets and talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicureans and the Stoics intellectual, intellectuals pretty well through these conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm, saying, what an airhead. But others, listening to him, go on about Jesus and the resurrection, and they were intrigued. That's a new land on the gods. Tell us more, said the people. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus, where things were a little quieter. And they say, this is a new one on us. We never heard of anything quite like it. Where do you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike waiting for the latest tibet on new things. So again, this is the final part, and we see Paul taking on a new twist of what's going on. So far, if you go through the book of Acts, you see Paul arguing over and over again, mostly in the synagogues. And if you read Paul's letters, he's not trying to convert people, but he's pretty much trying to explain everybody what he's talking about. Um, no, it's not working. There we go. And again, we can see Paul as a radical person. And as I was talking at the beginning, so radical comes from the word root. So radical is not one that just goes on the, around the weeds. Radical is one that comes to the source, comes back to the source of tradition. Yeah, I guess, I guess my remote's not, not working. So, and we saw that script, the root of a scripture in the first sermon is love. The root of tradition is clarity, helping us to understand God's uh, will through, through God's commandment. And we talked last week about experience and a truth beat knowledge. So today, we're going to talk about reason and, reason and being the root of reason being judgment. So, and I know, so the word judgment has a lot of... Uh, power, especially nowadays, because we take it as something bad, like, oh, they're judging me, oh, uh, they, they're pronouncing a judgment over somebody. It usually has a negative connotation, but I'm trying to, to use the word today of judgment as a way of making sense of something, like using our good judgment for something. But before we get deep into that area, we're going to see a little bit about what's going on between Paul and Athens. Because Athens is not just a regular, normal place. Athens is like the epicenter of knowledge, culture, and thought, and philosophy in the old world. 
And then Paul suddenly is there. And this is a different, different type of game. Athens was known as the home, and, and you probably know some of these names, Socrates, Plato. It was the adopted home of Aristotle. Epicureans, says scriptures that were there. Stoics, says scriptures that were there. Stoics were, pe were people that um, believed in some sort of way of God, but God was the soul of, of the world. And that God wanted them just to be self um, Self-sufficient. Well, the Epicureans, for example, they, they not believe in any God, or as they say, if their God exists, they're far away from us. And Paul is right there. He's facing this group of people. He's getting angry, uh, not just for the idols, but what the idols bring into this town. Because even though Athens was known for being um, the epicenter of knowledge or uh, like this great arena where great minds just face each other. The problem with the idolatry that Athens was going through brought a lot of economical issues, social issues, political issues. A lot of people were being oppressed, and there was a lot of criminal situations happening, and all because of this idolatry. And this is what was kind of make making Paul a little bit angry. Not just that people were worshiping a lot of different idols, but how that worshiping of different idols was affecting people's lives. And Paul decided just to go to the streets and start talking to them. And the language that Paul uses on the streets is very different than the one we see in the letters. Paul is a well-trained person, is an amazing speaker. And he realized that he's facing people that are not entirely familiar with Jewish scriptures. So he needs to talk to them to a different level. He needs to engage with them in their own game. Paul didn't go to them saying, so... I'm going to talk to you about uh, what Moses was talking about. These people probably didn't know who Moses was. So, but Paul was spending so much, so, spent so long in Athens that he saw uh, one of the statues that said to the unknown God. And Paul says, okay, I'm going to talk to you in a language that you understand. The God that I'm talking about is that one that you don't know, the creator of, the creator of heaven and earth. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about resurrection and and the word that we had in the scriptures that and the translation that i share right now is airheaded others and in the original language the way they used to describe paul as a bubbler somebody just like talks too much and says nothing but there was something in paul that started to click in them and because of that he was invited to the aeropagus which is okay now you fought on the streets now we're going to um, take you to the staple centers of that time where you we will, you will face us. We will ask you a dozen, thousands of questions about what you're talking about because we kind of like it. It's different, but you need to convince us. And what we need to understand also is that Paul it was an underdog. The Jewish were a small population. Their belief was agent. Asian. In Athens, they love new things. 
And even though it seemed that Paul was talking about something new, he wasn't. He used his reasoning. He spent time with people, he thought it through, and he started talking. Well, let me read to you something that John Wesley, founder, uh, uh, one of the founders of the Methodism, had to say about reason. The foundation of true religion stands upon the oracles of God. It is built upon the prophets and apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, of what excellent use is reason if we will either understand ourselves or explain to others those living oracles? And how is it possible without it, without reason, to understand the essential truths contained therein? By reason we learn what is the new birth, said in one of his sermons, John Wesley. By reason we understand what is holiness said John Wesley. But something else he says, and he says that reason cannot produce faith. Faith, according to scripture, is an evidence or convictions of things that are not seen. So John Wesley gives the use of reason a lot of value. But he also adds something. The reason does not produce faith. And even though Paul was speaking in an amazing way, what he was creating in people, because Paul was talking about Jesus and was talking about resurrection, he was creating faith in people. Something that doesn't just happen by reasoning with them. Something else was at stake. Something, somebody else was playing that game along with Paul. And this is where I want to go. Paul was a trained person. He was a Pharisee. He was trained by one of the best scholars of the moment, a Jewish leader, Gamaliel. Yet, he helped, the, he helped with the persecution and murder of a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Christ. But there was something that happened to Paul. When he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up and talked to him. And then he lost his sight, so he went somewhere else, and a man called Ananias received word from God saying, go to this man and pray for him. So Ananias, and, and this is what scripture says in Acts 9. So Ananias went and entered the house and laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that may you regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Paul had all the knowledge he could have about his own tradition. He was trained on how to speak to people. But the next step for Paul, for Paul didn't come until he encountered Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, this is a pattern that is throughout Scripture over and over and over again. And here are some examples. Moses 
Numbers 8, Numbers 11. He was overwhelmed by having to direct all the people of Israel. And then his father-in-law said, why don't you get some people that can help you with this? So they gathered the elders of town, to the, of the area to help him to lead. And he prays upon them and they get filled with the Spirit of God. And it's from them that they can lead people. Acts 8, Philip was walking and then he hears the Holy Spirit saying, you see that chariot just ran towards it. Go there. Acts 16, Paul and a group of them, uh, group, the group of those with them, they are forbidden to speak by the Holy Spirit. Acts 7, Stephen says that full of the Holy Spirit, he saw the glory of God. There is something in common. Every time that we see greatness in Scripture, it is connected to the Holy Spirit being with them, taking them to that next step. It's God using everything we have and enhancing it. It's giving us power over something we didn't have, giving us words that we didn't know we had. This is what Jesus says in Matthew. Don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they hold you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, giving you platform for preaching the kingdom of heaven. And don't worry about what you say or how you will say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply you with words. Other translation says, and you will receive power. The Holy Spirit will speak for you. Acts, Jesus tell them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And, and this is where I'm going. That we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, so far in this sermon series, I kind of keep the work in the area of the Holy Spirit in the down low. Because we need a base and we need a foundation. We, we cannot expect, and God can do it, but we cannot expect the Holy Spirit just to work in our life and do all the work for us. We need to be aware of the world that we live in. We need to be aware of what we believe in. Because the reality is, without not knowing the basics of God, without not knowing the importance of Scripture and that it's rooted on love, without not knowing what our forefathers and foremothers had taught us, without having experience, we are not going to be able to discern if it's God or not who we are listening to. We cannot know if the Holy Spirit is the one talking to us. Or we might miss the opportunity like the opportunity that Philip had when the Holy Spirit said, go and chase that chariot. And a non-Jewish person became a follower of Christ. The good news are this. We are all basils for the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet said, this is what the disciples repeat in the book of Acts. This is a prophecy. 
that in the last, last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men's dream dreams. When the time comes, I will pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they will prophesy. I said wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. The Holy Spirit is right there for us, and it's, it's what the church needs as a body to take the next step for greatness, to take the next step towards a transformation. We cannot be transformed without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Paul is a perfect example that they, oh, oh, doesn't matter how much knowledge we have, without that power, we might be useless. Without that power, we might not be transformed. So then, as I said, the root of Scripture is love, of tradition is clarity, experience is knowledge. I said reason is judgment. But that's not enough for us followers of Christ. When Jesus, and, and this is the passage that I use on the, first, uh, on the first Sunday of this sermon series, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. And they are arguing back and forth, and Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. Jesus is, give us, is giving us a hint that being a teacher and knowing it all is not enough. So I will say, and I will change my statement, that for us, followers of Christ, the root of reason is not judgment, but the Holy Spirit. Because it's through everything we know, through our understanding of scriptures, our understandings and remembrance of those that came before us, our, the way we see our experience with God, all that analyzed, and thought and prayer by and with the help of the Holy Spirit is that we can make God fill decisions and take God fill actions. So that's why today from your home I want to invite you to see these four pillars. And when you read scripture, and when you see something that troubles you, think, how does seeing it through the eyes of love, we can have an interpretation of this? What did our forefathers and mothers say about this? And how did their context change? And how is our experience today that is different from those in the past, is affecting the way we see in Christianity? And then I invite you to think and to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to take control over your mind, over your heart, over your soul and say, talk to me. Talk to me through scripture. Talk to me through our forefathers and mothers. Talk to me through the experience that I went through. Talk to me 
through the context I'm living in and help me in love to be able to see your will, God, the one that you teach in your commandments and bring everything I have lived so I can help to make disciples in this world. So I pray, Holy Spirit of God, like in the days of Pentecost, that you bring power upon us in our homes and right here. Because if it's something that we know from Scripture is that it doesn't matter who we are and where we are, that without your power, without your company, without your strength, and without you helping us to see, we cannot make this world a better place. We cannot bring heaven on earth. Made every reasoning that we have can be inspired and guided by you, Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.